Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Uh, Thank you, Father in heaven, that you love the world so much that you sent your one and only Son so that whoever would believe in you would have would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, you are so, so good. We love you. (laughs) I don't know if it's just because I'm getting old, getting older, maybe getting more wise, more mature, hopefully. But the further along I go in my relationship with Jesus, this is what my prayer life looks like. And I don't know if like sitting in the quiet and still is uncomfortable for you. For some it is. But I don't want to rush these moments. And there's this inner kind of dialogue and conversation. There's, there's a to-do list. There's things to be done. There's things we have to share like. There's a message prepared and then there's just Jesus. Jesus. We'll see how we go. Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha I've heard one preacher put it that Martha was busy making sandwiches Jesus hadn't ordered. But Martha was so, so busy. Being the hostess that she was meant to be, that she was expected to be. So busy doing, she lost sight of being with Jesus. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the right thing, the most important thing. Which was radical for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi and be taught. But she chose the better way, to be with Jesus. You have to know I don't have a clue what to do. That might be obvious. And it's not for lack of planning and preparing. I I even have a PowerPoint today, don't I, Gary? Like, that's a big deal. But I just, I stand here and I feel like, I don't know. I don't know. I go to say part of it. I'm just I'm processing out loud. I'm just trying to follow Jesus in this moment and say, Jesus, what are you doing? What do you want us to do? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whosoever believes will not perish they shall have 
eternal life. I shall hold to the cross. I shall hold to God alone. For his love has salvaged me. For his love has set me free. I shall wait upon the Lord. I shall wait upon his word. And by his grace, I am released. And by his grace, I am redeemed. By his precious blood, I have been set free. For the glory of Jesus' name. I surrender all now to Christ the Lord. In Jesus, I am saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whosoever believes will not perish, they shall have eternal life. Yes, they shall have eternal life in the Son. Jesus, we love you. We give you all the praise and the honour and glory because you are, you are our Redeemer. You are the, the light of the world. You are the hope of the nations. You are our Deliverer. You are a strong tower. You are a firm foundation. Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your presence here right now, Jesus. And for the way that you're ministering to hearts and minds and spirits and souls and bodies. We say yes to you, whatever you want to do, we say yes. Do you know that Jesus is actually the best message ever preached? Jesus is the word of God in human flesh. There's none better. To actually be in his presence is nourishing for our spirit, soul and body. Jesus, one time the disciples had gone to get some food and Jesus had a conversation with the woman at the well. He was tired, he was hungry, he was thirsty. The disciples come back with food. And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of the Father. So Jesus, the word of God made flesh, who dwells among us. Jesus, the bread of life, is sustained by doing the will of his Father. Today's sermon, 
Are heaven and hell real? So if this is your first time with us, welcome. People be like, man, this guy doesn't say anything for 20 minutes and now he wants to talk about heaven and hell. Are heaven and hell real? Short version? Yes. Long version? Read your Bible. I feel like I'm in the middle of that first song that we sing. The things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's read some scripture. Matthew 13. If you get done before I do, feel free to leave. It's all right, I won't. I don't know what I'm doing. Matthew 13. I figured we'd start with hell so we could finish on heaven. We, uh, we have to be grounded in Scripture because as Scripture testifies, as Scripture prophesies, there are many lies being dressed up as the truth in the world today. And we need to be uh, forewarned and forearmed about what is the truth and what are the lies, what are the plans of the enemy. Not to focus on the lies, but so that we won't be tossed about on the waves as James wrote about. So, here's the words of Jesus from Matthew 13. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, he's talking about separating the wheat, the harvest from the weeds. So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. And then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. Just like John West. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew, and then Matthew 5. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, quoting the law of Moses. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body 
than for your whole body to go into hell. There's a school of thought that has actually been around for a long time and kind of comes in waves that tries to diminish the reality or the eternity of hell. Hell is a real place. Um, and for us humans, a bit like never we're sharing at communion, we see in part, we know in part, we don't have full clear vision of who God is, what he's like and all that he has in store. And so we try and reason out, we try and come up with human reason and arguments to argue for or against something that we can't completely understand. And one of the questions is how can a loving God send people to hell? How can the God of love, God of all creation, send people to a place of eternal damnation? And some would say God doesn't send anybody to hell. God lets every single one of us choose. As we've shared a couple of times, God loved the world so, so, so much that he sent his one and only son so that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God has done all the work for every single person in all of history to be in relationship with him and to not go to hell but to have everlasting life with him and people still choose people still choose and so one of the arguments that comes up is they take some of the teachings of Jesus and there's a few different words that scripture will use for hell or the eternal fire or the eternal damnation and the one that Jesus is using here is the Greek word Gehenna Now, Gehenna refers to a valley outside of the city of Jerusalem, which had been around for centuries before Jesus showed up. And it was actually a place of ritual and child sacrifice. And so it was a place where there'd be fires burning all the time. There would be the stench of human flesh. And in Jesus' day, it had become pretty much the city dump. Nobody went there for the fun of it. There was more waste being put there and thrown there. And so it was a place that nobody wanted to go and fires burned all the time. It was a dump. It was a place of waste. And so Jesus uses this word Gehenna, which um, literally refers to this place that they know, but Jesus is actually redefining for his followers and for everybody to follow him, what eternal separation from God is like. So you might, um, if you think about Old Testament, and often we'll read about, um, David often would talk about, if I go down to the depths, you are there. If I rise up to the heavens, you are there. Often they'll talk about the depths going down into the deep as, a, as, as symbolic of being separated from God. And so that's the Hebrew word Sheol, which was this place underneath the earth's surface, so they thought. And so that was separation from God. The thing is, that was for the just and the unjust. That, was, that wasn't differentiated between those who believed in God and those who didn't. 
And then you get to Jesus and he talks about this place of Gehenna, this place of eternal fire and damnation. And he talks about it quite a few times. Matthew highlights that it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus says this place of eternal damnation, eternal fire, eternal separation and bases it on something that the people listening to him can see, much like he did with a lot of his parables. Jesus uses the term to refer to a place of evil and a place of darkness and a place of destruction. He's not just referring to this physical valley. So a lot of people will say, well, Jesus was referring to a physical place and a physical time. Therefore, what actually happens in eternal separation from God, well, that's not what that's referring to. And the people might be separated for a time, but eventually they'll be join back together with God even if they choose not to follow him in this life and so people start to doubt the reality of hell what we see though through Jesus the words of Jesus through the early church as we have it in scripture and the early church fathers who built up the church in the centuries following is that um, much teaching lined up and supported what Jesus was talking about his uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, Second uh, Thessalonians 1. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God is just. You'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. God is just. God is just. We get hung up. Oh, not hung up. That's not the right way to put it. We declare, we know, we live on the fact that God is love. We love to know and talk about the fact that God is love. Do you know the fact? Do you know that Scripture talks about God being a holy God more than it actually mentions that God is love? And so we can diminish and say, well, God is love and therefore how could he possibly want anybody to be separated from him for, all, for, for a portion of time or for all eternity? Well, he doesn't. God's will is that no one should perish, wrote Peter to the early church. No one. Yet he actually loves every single one of us so much that he gives us a choice. If I came to you and I said, you must love me, how inclined would you be to love me? I'd hazard a guess, not very. And God, right from the dawn of creation, all the way through to when Jesus comes again, 
is letting people choose whether or not they'll actually live in relationship with him. He is love. He is just. He is holy. He is righteous. He is the perfect judge. He will judge between the believing and the unbelieving alike. There was a student of John, the Apostle John, there was a student of his called Polycarp. There's a good name that wouldn't get used much if you're looking for something different, Polycarp. Uh, And he was martyred for his faith. And he wrote this, fixing their minds on the grace of Christ. This is like first, early, second century. Fixing their minds on the grace of Christ, the martyrs despised worldly tortures and purchased eternal life with but a single hour. To them, the fire of their cruel torturers was cold and they kept before their eyes their escape from me, the eternal and unquenchable fire. So all throughout history, there are people that have died for their faith so that they could have eternity with the Father. So that they would not actually surrender their life to live eternally joined with their Father in heaven. So much so did they believe in the eternal damnation of those who would be separated from Jesus. If the eternal fire is not true, what inspires all these people? Even to this day that people are dying for their faith, literally being persecuted, literally being burnt, literally being killed because they acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Why would people do this? Why would so many give their lives in the name of Jesus? So how do we respond? Second Thessalonians chapter 1 again, verse 11 following. With this in mind... Paul and Timothy and Silas, I think, wrote, We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, he quotes Jesus. The student's not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? He's speaking there about the Pharisees and some of the teachers who were actually leading their students away from relationship with God. Don't be afraid of them, for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the ruse. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. We love that, don't we? Like We would take that and put that on a magnet in our fridge. I'm worth more than sparrows, God loves me, he'll dress me because he dresses the lilies of the field. 
I'm worth more than two sparrows. And here's a verse that we probably don't highlight and probably don't stick on our fridge. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Time and time again, so I'm changing gears, right? We've we've established, I've established, I know hell is real. I hope that you get that picture. We're going to look at heaven. And then, yeah, we'll see what happens. Not only do we give an account for our own lives as we stand before God on Judgment Day, but Jesus is also testifying before the Father in heaven as to who has acknowledged him as Lord and Saviour and who hasn't. So Jesus, the intercessor, Jesus, um, another book of the Bible. Uh, I don't know where it is. I've lost the address. Jesus intercedes on our behalf and so does the Holy Spirit. Constantly praying, interceding for us. Yet Jesus, meek and mild, Prince of Peace, stands before the Father and says, they acknowledged you, they did not. And separates out the believers and the unbelievers to his Father in heaven. Matthew 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we know that heaven is real? Because Jesus said it. <laughs> Short answer. Jesus testified to that, the fact that that's where he'd come from, and that's where he's going, and that's where his Father is and was. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Part of why this is important to have a grounding about heaven and hell and to know that both exist, both are eternal. And it's actually kind of funny. People want to argue against hell and the reality of hell and the eternity of hell. Generally, people don't argue against the reality and the eternity of heaven at the same time. Like, you can't have one and not the other. Our view of the afterlife and what happens when we die and what happens at Christ's return impacts how we live in the here and the now. Eternity doesn't start when we die. Death is not our saviour. Jesus is. We are living in eternity now. We are shaping eternity now. We are following Jesus now. Not just when we die, but here and now. And our shaping, our perception, our understanding of the reality, the eternal um, nature of what happens when we die shapes how we live our lives in the here and now. C.T. Studd was a missionary to China and India in the 19th century. And he said this in one of his journals, in one of his sermons. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Such was his desire to help people move away from hell and towards our Father in heaven. Hebrews 12 
says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those that have gone before us, all those that are yearning for the return of the King, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the right hand of his Father in heaven. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you know, I, don't, I don't live my life wanting to avoid hell. I don't even really live my life wanting to get into heaven. I live my life focused on the author and perfecter of faith, Jesus Christ. Pursuing him in every aspect of life. Messing it up, making mistakes, falling short, being tempted, sinning. Repenting, forgiving and being forgiven and focusing on Jesus. He is our focus. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. I just want to invite you in this moment, just um, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior of your life, you know, we often we have people put their hand up or ask them to come forward, and that's just taking a physical step of faith to 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 reflect a spiritual reality. Um, I just want to invite you. Um, don't know Jesus, just in this moment, maybe like get on your knees or stand up and just say, Jesus, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior of my life. Nobody's watching. Just, just in this moment, I just feel like it's important that you just do that between you and him first and foremost. I just feel like he's, like he's here doing the ministry. If you need healing in your body, if you have mental anguish, if you're not sleeping at night, if you have heart issues, if you've got bad knees, If you need any healing in your body, just stand where you are and say, Jesus, I receive your complete and perfect healing. If there's somebody in your life and you're not in the right relationship with them, 
and you need to forgive them or you need to ask their forgiveness and they're in the room, go and do it. If they're not in the room, send them a text, give them a call. Make a time to restore the relationship and be reconciled. Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill this place. Come and fill our lives, fill our hearts, fill our bodies with your holy and righteous presence. Jesus, as we abide in you, prune away the anything that is not of you. Can you just in this moment give all permission to Jesus to minister to you, spirit, soul and body. And to not rush. Rush.